With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Tennis.com podcast, and here's your host, Ed McGrogan. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the Tennis.com podcast. I'm sure you were wondering when we would chime in here, Steve Tigner and, and myself, as always. And after every day of the tournament's first week, or for most of the days, you, I felt like we had to get something up pretty soon because of some um, major event or cataclysmic loss or just amazing five-set uh, win by, you know, Roger, Rafa, the like. And it just, you know, it just really hasn't slowed down at all week one. I, so I thought I thought that when both top seeds lose the same day, maybe that, you know, maybe I don't have to wait anymore, Steve. And, we, and I think it's time we uh, discuss what's been obviously a pretty wild first week in Melbourne. Yeah, I think this is when, you know, as long as you have the top two seeds, Kerber and Murray in there, there's some there's some sort of sense of order. But now it's like, a, you know, it's an official it's official sort of wild week and, and unpredictable. One of those ones we'll look back on as a really unpredictable tournament like Wimbledon from maybe yeah. three, year, three years ago when everybody lost. Yeah, we were, at, I think, both. I want to say you and I were both at that Wimbledon, and I did – I did think of that actually as we've, you know, that was very concentrated. There was a, there was one almost, um, you know, day that blew up everything, but it, it was sort of, uh, so jarring. And I think that, you know, the reason, you know, we have the top two seeds in the men's men's side gone. You have three of the top four women out. Um, and this is before the fourth round is even completed. We're recording this. Uh, Sunday morning Eastern time in the U.S. Uh, we'll have the the quarterfinals filled out tonight, and I think that you know a clear reason why this is maybe more impactful than usual is you know just for so many years the first week has really been just a red carpet for the big four on the men's side to get into the second week, and and truthfully you know the women's side I, I think has really been upended even more than usual. It's always you know it hasn't. The women's draws at the majors haven't been as sort of airtight on the first week as the men's, but I think you could even say that that's the case this year. You know, Serena is the only survivor of the top four. You know, you had Sabolkova lose as well. You've had plenty of scares. You know, there's been other highly ranked men that have gone down um, and, and, and very surprising players who still remain in this term on both draws. So I think that's a, a huge reason for this feeling you get. Yeah, I think the women's, you have, you know, Halep, Redwanska, um, uh, Sibokova, as you said, you know, they're all out. That There's a real sense only, you know, and now with Kerber, there's really a sense that Serena is the only sort of person hanging on who we thought was going to be a semifinalist. Um, and there's also, you know, while people have been losing, there's other people who've come along, men's and women's, to play well who you really might not have thought, I mean, 
Kanta, Johanna Kanta on the women's side and Grigor Dimitrov. Those are two people I think who have really started out the year, you know, red hot to start the year, and then they've continued it, you know, in in Melbourne in a way that I don't think anybody would have expected. Now, you know, Kanta may have to play Serena, but soon. But um, beyond that, you could almost see those two winning the tournament suddenly. I, I know. I was, you know, I was looking. And at the risk of this podcast aging, but yeah, you you know you look at especially the men's draw where it's left now after Djokovic and Murray, who you know by any measure rankings, you know the eye test are clearly the two top guys at the, at the game, and you know you know now you can kind of foresee you know maybe this is the Milos Raonic you know breakthrough we finally you know we finally kind of forecasted or or as i was saying to a friend of mine earlier today you know you you have to consider the possibility that maybe this is like this is grigor dimitrov's long-awaited moment you know there the openings are there for many many players certainly two of them being federer and nadal as well so it's you know it's been it's been a week to to kind of think of a lot of you know a lot of different um talking points than usual and one that that I think that you brought up in your review of, of Zverev which we'll get to in a little more detail Zverev's win over Murray this is Misha Zverev to be clear um, you know is is the way that the courts have changed in the Australian Open and uh, over time this surface has gone I think under the most well, under under significant change in both appearance, composition over the years, you know, it's always talked about where Wimbledon's grass has changed so dramatically from the late '90s, early 2000s to now. But this has undergone a pretty significant adjustment as well. Yeah, I think it's been slow and steady. I think the start was the nearly six-hour match between Djokovic and Nadal, 2002, and then the next year, Djokovic and Vavrinka played a five-hour match. Both incredible matches but you know i think there was a sense that that's not where that wasn't what we wanted the the norm to be and australia has always been the slow hard court surface rebound ace was slow uh and high bouncing and plexicushion which they replaced it with maybe 10 years ago um also medium to slow but i think since then each year since 2002 since 2012 2013 each year it's been sort of reported anecdotally from the players that that the court's a little faster than it was the year before. You know, that was what was said in 2014, um, 2015. And now there's been talk about it this year that it's you know, each year gets a little faster. And I think this year is, is the first time I've heard some of the men talk about wanting to play at night because it's a little slower. You know, the day, the day session in the heat with the courts, the way they are, these, they're really not used to that speed. Um, you know, some people disagree. It's all, it's all sort of, each player has a little different interpretation of the court speed. Rafa says he, he doesn't feel like it's that much faster, but but I think in general it's you know Australia's gotten faster, and you can see it in the results. You can see it, I think, today, last night with Zverev beating Murray. Zverev, a serving volleyer, able to impose his game on bait the baseline or Murray, and Coco Vandeweghe just sort of rolling past uh, Angelique Kerber, also the defend you know the attacker beating the defender in a way that you you might not have expected and maybe you know maybe this the conditions down there are giving giving the attacking players more confidence yeah it, it it's i think it's something that you know many fans have been wanting quite honestly is the faster courts um you know i i remember when 
Paris Bercy really a couple of years back, you know, went sort of pushed all their chips in on a really faster surface. Um, and I think a lot of fans responded well to that because of the, you know, the prevalence and really almost oversaturation of slower, hard courts. And, you know, because of that, a sort of reflection in, in the, you know, the modern baseline game that's taken shape there. And I believe Paris actually retreated on that a little bit, but this is, you know, this is, I think, something that fans have been kind of clamoring for in a way. And it's also this first week to me, we've we've often heard about a a desire to see less seeds at slams instead of seeding 32 players you would see just 16 as it as it was done not that long ago and the reason so many people have have talked about that is we're getting such conventional week ones and it's almost that you know it almost doesn't even matter that you know these seeds are going to make it to the weekend the the beginning of the second week this first week is really you know not necessarily in terms of the seedings, but in terms of maybe the outcomes and a little bit of the disarray and the draw. This is what you might expect to see if you were not seeding 32 players at a slam. Or maybe this becomes the new norm in a sense when, you know, I guess the question will have to be asked and we'll we'll ask it more throughout the years. It depends on what Murray and Djokovic do. I mean, I, mean, I think the inevitable question depending on this is, is does the firmament at the top of the men's tour still have that ironclad grip over everyone else? And that's a question to be, you know, pondered later on. But I think, I think it's something that will take away from this tournament. I think, regardless of what you think, it's a hell of a start to 2017. Yeah, I think on the men's side, you can see these as a, some individual um, developments. We'll see whether they become trends. You know, Djokovic, not quite, not as dominant as he once was. That's that's a trend um murray's vera that's you know i don't think that was because murray is suddenly feeling pressure from being number one i think he played a decent match he actually made some adjustments in that match but Zverev was just um his style and the way he was able to execute it the shots he was making um i think it was more about Zverev winning than than murray losing and that's kind of that's hard to say that that's going to be a trend um but you also have the f- return of Federer and Nadal at 17th seed and ninth seed, so it's sort of in different places in the draw. Yeah, um, and you know that's that's something maybe we didn't expect them to come back. We'll see how Rafa does against Malfi's, but I don't think. I mean, I think people expected Federer to get to the quarterfinals, but not necessarily to face Verev and have a really good chance of really actually a really good chance of winning the tournament now. Um, yeah, you know, when I was watching, you know, to get back on Zvera for a moment is, you know, when I watched him, I was thinking that, you know, you have that unorthodox style, unorthodox certainly compared to what we're see, what we see on the tour for so long. I, it's, you know, it reminded me of kind of when I play someone at in tennis at the at uh, in their league where you kind of see a player who brings that game that you really can't prepare for and you really have. You kind of have to almost find your way um, to, you know, because it's so unlike everyone else out there. I think it's great to watch, hard to play against if you're on the opposite side. And then I think, you know, Murray just, you know, he did run into just a red hot player. And I mean, I guess just, you know, who would have guessed, of course, being in the tournament that, you know, it's it's Misha Zverev at number 50 and 29 years old that gets farther than, you know, Alexander, his brother, you know, certainly – uh, 
you know, a great future, I think, unquestionably ahead for him. But it's, you know, it's the way this week has gone. I think, you know, as you bring up Federer and Nadal as well, you know, that, that Alexander Zverev and Rafa match was just, a, you know, a great one to see. I think you just, you know, very satisfying match because you feel like, you know, none of those guys really lost it. I mean, it was, you know, and especially for Rafa, um, you know, I think I think most of the talk at this event, no matter, you know, when it comes to Roger and Rafa, the talk inevitably is going to be Federer because of his age, because of the lengthy off season he had more than usual with the injuries, just, you know, just his general appeal across the board and with his wins with a utterly convincing win over Burdich and then a five setter over Nishikori, you know, it's great. It's great stuff that we saw from him. I wasn't quite sure what to expect, but you know, here we are. He's got a great chance of the semis. But Rafa has really uh, impressed as well. Yeah, I think you know, Rafa this whole year has been sharp playing wise. The big problem with him last year, maybe the last couple of years, strictly from the playing perspective, was his forehand. And what you know, he just wasn't what it was. That seems to be straightened out. He's hitting it as well as he he has in the past. He's hitting his backhand better. Um, his serve isn't quite as much of a weakness as it was a while ago, but then we, you know, we needed to see him how he reacted mentally in a in a big event, and and the match against Zverev, it looked like he might have some of the same problems he's had in five setters uh, over the last year against Puy and against Verdasco last year and against Fognini the year before that, but um, this time he came through. You know, he lost. He was down two sets to one to Zverev. This time. He came back and won those last two sets. He was a little fortunate this time in that Zverev cramped and got tired. But I feel like that's the kind of thing that will help Rafa. He'll feel like if he's playing well, he can he can win those matches. So, you know, he can. It won't. Everything won't go against him. Um, I think he had felt like maybe he just had some bad luck. You know, somebody like Verdasco just got hot and beat him. That normally wouldn't happen here. Now he'll. I think this match will at least make him feel like if he's working hard and, and still playing at a high level, the wins will come. You know, he was, it made me that, that little bit of confidence. Um, will have he was able to hit the right shot at the right time and win the big point that he needed. I think he did that against Vera. Yeah. Let's actually mention a couple other, I want to, while we're on the men's talk here, you know, a guy completely under the radar and a guy you, you know, inevitably, this is how, this is how all his slam wins, and he's, he's and he's done it for three straight years now. Has gone an under the radar run by Stan Wawrinka. He is in the quarterfinals. Um, he beats Seppi seven six seven six seven six to get there. Um, you have not, you know, to me, you haven't really heard anything about Stan at all, and that's probably just the way he likes it. Um, he plays Sanga in the quarters with the winner to get Zverev or Federer. Um, you know, other guys under the radar. You know, who would sort of think to say that Gael Monfils is kind of under radar, but he is the sixth seed. Um, as you say, he gets Rafa. The match will probably have happened by the time you listen to this. But and you know, other guys too. You know, team is still in this tournament. Um, Dimitrov, who we've mentioned, Dimitrov. He you know he uh, he won a three a.m. a match at about three a.m. local time. It was kind of reminiscent of that. Hewitt Baghdadis match a years ago that went on until about four thirty. There's been some very late starts um, with matches being backed up at Laver Arena, um, and Raonic, of course, too. I don't, you know, we haven't really heard, I, and I think it's, you know, we haven't really talked about him too much. But 
as I said at the beginning, I mean, the door is clearly open here. And, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, maybe this is just the latest example of, of the, uh, the coronation of Stan Wawrinka here. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. You made a good point about Stan. I really haven't even seen him play and haven't thought much about him, but he won a close of, you know, a five set first round match. And that seems to be, at least if you go with the U S open last year, that seems to help him. If he can get, you know, at the open last year, he, he saved the match point against Dan Evans and then went on to win the tournament. Will that kind of, that sort of, um, second chance, give him confidence, make him a little more relaxed going through here. Uh, he could play Feder, you know, he plays Sanga next and could play Feder in the semis. He could, he, you know, he could beat Feder. Suddenly, you sort of look at this draw without Djokovic and Murray, and you see a lot of guys, I would say, with equal chances to win the tournament. Federer, Vavrinka, Nadal, Raonic, and Dimitrov. Maybe, you know, maybe you look at Dimitrov a little less, but those guys, I think all of those guys have a legitimate sort of equivalent shot of, of winning the whole thing. Yeah, it's, uh, should be a great, you know, second week just because of those, you know, possibilities. Um, and, and, you know, we'll get, I want to get to Kerber here whose match really, you know, didn't finish that long ago. Now that as we're recording this, I mean, I guess Coco Vandaway sort of played the role of Madison keys in a sense at this term, you know, she, you know, unseated, but, undoubtedly you know a player who has the uh, the serve and the skill to trouble any you know to trouble any player really i i thought in watching that match um you know she had some very interesting comments after it to uh to Renee Stubbs on court saying that she actually you know didn't feel all that great today she said she felt like crap actually this is kind of the typical sort of Typical sort of, of quotes you get from Vandaway, sort of a, you know, just her personality. But you know, I think that probably helps her. She, you know, she doesn't seem to take herself too, you know, too seriously, which is probably a good thing when you get to a moment like that in a slam, playing a number one. She, you know, was down a break early in the second set after winning the first pretty easily over Kerber. Runs it out after that. Um, you know, Kerber as 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 we talked about, you know number one but is now just four and three on the season um all of her losses have been to players outside the top 10 and all of her wins but one have come in three sets it's it's really been a pretty poor start for her and it's you know i you know the the thing i wrote about with this is this is just such a long season and it's such a long time really from now until the french open when you kind of really start rendering your verdicts again, and there's just just so much time passes. You you have you kind of have to think that this sort of malaise of her of that she's in passes by. But yeah, you do obviously wonder about the kind of the letdown and and, and what's really natural to players um, after the year. But it's you know to to that degree or to the other point is you know Kerber was from beginning to end last year and at pretty much every big event making late rounds. So it's, it's a, it's a pretty big surprise nonetheless. Yeah. I think I feel like every match Kerber's played this year so far, she's been flat. She really hasn't come out looking like she's had a lot of energy and not taking the match to her opponent, um, looking frustrated early, which was something she seemed to have, you know, at least slightly gotten over last year or improved on, um, was how she handled adversity. It hasn't, hasn't looked like she's really believed in herself and, you know, 
we've said it about Kerber before. She's always she's a number one player, but she's always going to be with her style vulnerable to to a player who's hot, who's attacking. She can be beaten that way. And Vandaway obviously is is perfect in that sense. She can she can hit um, just about anybody else off the court with her serve and and forehand. Obviously, she's she's erratic and and that doesn't always happen. She had played Kerber the last time they had played. She had lost in three, but she won a, one of the sets six zero. So the potential was there. You wouldn't have expected Kerber not to not to battle back and get her, you know, get her teeth into the match. But she, you know, she never did. Um, we'll see whether whether that leaves Vandaway. She's been in a quarterfinal of a Slam before. She looks like you said, completely loose, um, playing pretty freely. She'll play Muguruza next. So that's that's a pretty interesting match. Yeah. So there you go. So players that haven't been really discussed in the women's side, and you get a lot there too. Muguruza is a great example. Seven seed, um, <clears throat> I mean, feel bad for the tennis balls in that match with her and Vandaway. That's just that's just a you know a battle of cannons basically there. And you know, Muguruza will come into this event, you know, really has been completely uncountable uh or just unreliable at the slams aside from you know, after pretty much since she's won the French Open, and you know she is in a uh, you know one of these four players will make the final is Vandaway Muguruza, Pavlyuchenkova, and 13 seed Venus Williams. Speaking of veterans that are uh, you know are still around, and and all four of them actually won their fourth round matches in straight sets. Um, you know, so great opportunity there. And you look at the bottom of the draw. This will, you know, this is to be completed, you know, pretty soon. But Pliskova, Carolina Pliskova, I should say, who I, you know, I picked to win the tournament. She she escapes a really tough match with Ostapenko, ten eight in the third, but won her other two matches zero and two. Um, you you have to kind of like what you've seen from Pliskova if you've really bet on her um, based on what she showed at the Open and starting the year with her play, uh, I believe, in Sydney. Um, Sydney or Brisbane with a win there. Um, Jennifer Brady, that's a quite a story. Um, American qualifier that's really just uh, first slam makes it to the end. Uh, you know, end of the first week, I, you know, anything is really kind of gravy at this point for her. Lucic Baroni, another veteran, of course. And then Serena at the bottom. You know, she's in where Serena is, is... Uh, Sort of in a tough little quartet with Makarova, Conta, and Stritzova, all sort of potentially tough players in their own right. I mean, maybe we should kind of focus on uh, on Serena, if we will. I mean, what have we seen? What have you seen? From, she's really someone we haven't talked about too much thus far. I mean, what have you seen from her um, in this tournament thus far? She's, she'll have some tough matches coming up, no matter how they shake out, but she gets through this, you know, landmine of a first week unscathed. Yeah. I think the first two, her draw helped her in a way. She played Benchik first and Safarova next. Those are two quality players. She had to be ready for. She had something, it seemed like she had something to prove against Benchik. Wasn't, it wasn't just your normal opponent. Just somebody who had beaten her, uh, the last time they played or beaten her at least once. And I think that, got Serena off to a good start and that's that's gotten her into the tournament more quickly she's you know she's looked good and and the draw is has worked out well obviously in, in looking at the whole draw you know the, the woman who beat her in the final here last year Kerber is gone um it will be I would 
think the way the if form is holds, Serena will play Conta uh, in the quarterfinals. That will be interesting to see whether Conta can make any inroads on Serena. Conta's obviously has played sort of the most eye popping tennis on the women's side. We'll see if that see if that holds up. Um, see how that continues, and specifically whether it holds up against. Serena, I also want to say talk about say something about Jennifer Brady, who sure uh, go hadn't, on hadn't even seen any play really before this tournament. Saw her win a comeback and win a close match in the qualies. Uh, I think it was the last match of the qualifiers. She was way down, but um, I was, immediately was was impressed by how she just hung in, how calm she was, how well she competed, how she sort of just kept her head down and and stayed in it, and that's the way she's played each of her matches since then um, just sort of gone about her business and, and really outcompeted the opponent and, and made some pretty strong comebacks. Um, so that, you know, that's been impressive. That's, we'll see whether, how that continues, but that's really a really interesting person um, for the U S to have suddenly make a breakout appearance at a, at a grand slam. Yeah, um, well, actually, we're going to have a little piece on Brady on the site uh, on Monday. You guys should uh, be sure to, to check that out. Um, it's, uh, yeah, there's a, you know, America, Americans very well represented um, in this uh, women's draw here now and, you know, potentially even, you know, after another round of play here. So it's a, it's a pretty strong showing on, on that side of, uh, on that side of things here on the women's draw. Um What's uh? I'm gonna close with this. What's your what's your favorite men's final that's not Roger Rafa, and what's your favorite women's final that's not Venus Serena? I can take a look at this too if you need a second. Not Roger Rafa. I would say um, Dimitrov Zverev would be would be nice. I like the idea of of Dimitrov doing something in this tournament, really making a breakout. He's played great tennis so far. It is the ultimate uh, old school final. If that comes yes. to pass, yeah, 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 and the women's, um, you know, Venus. There's Venus, Serena, Venus, um, Conta. I mean, I like the way Conta's playing, and Pliskova would be a great, you know, maybe a rematch of that Venus Pliskova match at the U.S. Open last year. Pretty excellent, sort of uh, entertaining shot making match. Yeah, men's. I gotta say, you know. Federer versus, Federer versus uh, Federer Dimitrov obviously has the story written for you. Um, I, one I would say would be interesting is if you got a replay of Nadal and Stan because you know you just heard so much about Rafa Rafa's final versus him in 2014, somewhat compromised. I'm sure many will discount that, but that'd be a great replay of a final. And on the women's side, um, looking here, certainly I would like to say Pliskova just because I picked her and she did well here. But um, but it would be you know Venus would be a, a tremendous a tremendous story for sure. Um, <laughs> you know you could go a lot of different ways with that. But uh, and I and I have to say uh, one player we did not mention at all. You know, Australia does still have one representative left, and that's Gavrilova, um, 22 seed. She plays Pliskova next. So um, it's been, a, I would say, a thoroughly entertaining first week of the Aussie. And like I said, 
which I think has gone against a lot of first weeks at slams beforehand. So enjoyable to watch. And I think we still have a lot of good things to come here. So, um, follow tennis.com for Steve's, you know, commentary thoughts, um, you know, alongside really, uh, just a ton of coverage for the tournament here. We'll uh, be back on the podcast, I think, sometime next week, probably as it really gets closer to the end here, you know, right before the finals, I think. Uh, but for now, thank you for listening, as always, to, to the Tennis.com podcast. Thanks again. Talk to you next time. You've been enjoying the Tennis.com podcast. For all the latest news and events, head over to Tennis.com.